Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring, and today we have a guest, Diana Santos. We're very excited to have her. Her specialty is on scent work. She has been professionally training dogs since 2011, and throughout her career, she specialized in helping dogs who are reactive, fearful, and aggressive. Bless you for that. Not a lot of people are willing to take on those dogs. But uh, she was able to improve the lives of these dogs through a series of behavior modification programs, as well as putting things into their lives like scent work. Then after an injury, Diana did stop being a, a, a full-time trainer and concentrated on her passion, which is scent work with dogs. She is the president of the Scent Work University, and uh, she's joining us today to talk about how you can improve the life of your family dog with some simple activities such as scent work. And if you really like it, she can help you take it to the next level. So thank you, Diana, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I love to talk about scent work. <laughs> good, good, because that's what this is about. So I guess we chose the right guest. So uh, anyway, Tina gets to do the first question since I did the intro. So Tina, you're up, dear. Okay. So my first question, Diana, is, is there any dog who absolutely is not going to be able to do scent work? Like if you have a pug or you have a old English bulldog, are, are they disqualified from being able to be scent work dogs? Absolutely not. So this is a very big thing that people are misunderstanding about set work is maybe the size of the nose has something to do with it. Maybe I need to have a German Shepherd or a pointy ear dog, or I need to have a Malinois or something. If your dog is not on some kind of medical treatment that is actually affecting how their nose works, they can do set work. And it is something that all dogs are hardwired to do. Their lives are centered around odor and scenting. Every single dog. I don't care what kind of dog you have. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what they've done. They are probably doing scent work right now. You just don't know it. <laughs> Everything in their lives centers around odor. So with scent work, all we're doing is that we're just making the game a way that they can appreciate that we can see them for who they are as these wonderful, amazing creatures that odor is so incredibly important. And they go, oh, the two-legged thing can kind of understand me for a second. This is amazing. <laughs> as opposed to us constantly trying to make them into furry humans. So set work is absolutely for every single dog. Doesn't matter what kind of breed, doesn't matter how old, doesn't matter what they've done. As long as your dog isn't getting some kind of medical treatment where they are having any kind of issues with their nose working properly because of medication, every single dog can do it. Great. So when you um, start with scent work, um, can you give us an idea of, of some quick and perhaps easy way for people to, to find out whether they like scent work and sort of get them into it in a, in a way that may make it fun and easy for them and their kids? Sure, absolutely. So there's lots of different tastes or flavors of scent work. For myself personally, I like to just think about it as my dog is going out to find something that they want to get. So we just start off with food. So you guys can just start off with treats. It's really super simple. So some of the things that people can do if you just want to try this on your own is have someone hold on to your dog. They can just have their hands in front of the dog's chest or they can have the dog on a leash. Have someone with like five little treats. Just make a straight line in the middle of your room with five little treats. Let the dog go and let them go get those treats. And you're like, really? That's it? That's how you can start. 
And then you can start making it a little bit more complicated, where now you have the treats maybe around the perimeter of the room. Maybe now you have it up on the very edge of your chair or the edge of a couch. You can start having around a corner. And suddenly you start seeing the dog actually using their nose. And kids can love this, too, because they can get really creative with their hiding spots. And again, you don't have to do anything crazy. This can all be inside the comfort of your own home. You can go really kind of... You can go step by step what you are most interested in. For myself personally, I follow what's called the canine nose work training method, which is started off by the organization that actually created Setwork as a sport. And we start off by using boxes. We have treats that are hidden inside of empty boxes that we set up inside of our search areas, or that's a place that we're actually going to be using for the activity itself. And it's just boxes that if you go and you get things from Chewy or Amazon, you're just using those. And what's great about that is you're actually working on confidence at the very same time. Because when dogs try to put their head inside the box, they go, is that a portal to another dimension that's controlled by cats that are going to scratch off my nose? So it is just, it's such a big thing. And we can also use the boxes in different types of orientations to help the dog figure out, can I get my head into the box, over the top of the box? Can I have the box maybe on its side? I could put the box in all kinds of different orientations and places. And I don't need to go anywhere fancy. I don't have to buy any fancy equipment. I can just have more excuses to buy things online. (laughs) (laughs) And then I can still do all the wonderful sniffy games with my dog. So there is a whole lot of different ways that you can use set work. It doesn't just have to be with with food. You can also do it with toys. If you actually have a dog that likes toys, genuinely loves toys, not that you want them to like toys and you kind of like do wet noodle in front of their nose, like, oh, stop that, go away. (laughs) But actually they're like, wow, I can't wait to find my ball or, oh my goodness, that's my favorite stuffy toy. You can use that as well. And You can make this whatever you like, which is the wonderful part about this activity. You don't have to find yourself like, oh, I'm getting stuck with all these really super serious people who just, they do that weird tent setty thing on the weekend where they have stuff sticking out of their cars and they're there all day. And what are these crazy people doing with this dog sport stuff? You don't have to do that. If you do set work with your dog five to 10 minutes a day, a couple of times a week, if that, I would be delighted for you. (laughs) You can make this activity whatever works best for you. That sounds great. I was thinking when you were talking about that, I've done something similar, um, sort of, we thought of it as hide and go seek with the dog. And I had uh, two retrievers, not not the current retriever who is special. Um, but the past re- two retrievers, we had a golden retriever, Hudson, and I had another flat coat named Bingley. And they each would have a ball. And I would tell them, this is your ball, and this is your ball. And then we could put them in a, in a stay in the kitchen and go hide their balls anywhere. And if Bingley found Hudson's ball, I'd say, no, 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 that's Hudson's. And he'd leave it and go find his ball. Well, we worked up to that, but it was great because it got to the point where I could hide a toy anywhere in my house. And I have a three-story Victorian home and he would find it. It started really simple, though, in the same way that you're talking, is I started with showing him the ball and putting it behind me and saying, oh, where'd your ball go? You know, and he found his ball. And then it was like, okay, you're going to stay on that side of the counter. And I'm going to walk over to the other side. Here's your ball. It's on the other side of the counter. Where's your ball? And so, you know, creating it to be, he has to think for a minute, but also setting up for success. So I think that that's one of the things I love about what you were saying is that it, it challenges the dog enough to set them, but that they want to try something. But set them up for success. Don't make it so hard they can't succeed because that's a perfect way to shut them down. Exactly. And the wonderful thing about set work is, again, you can really customize this for what works for you and your dog. But it also, the way that I 
I prefer to train is it's focusing more on the dog first. It's not focusing on what can I make the dog do or what kind of behavior can I get from the dog or how can I get them to do X? It's more so what can the dog do on their own? So for myself, I prefer for people to set up their search areas in such a way where the dog can work away from them. So we actually work a little bit on distance and we're working on independence and confident thinking on behalf of the dog, where they're not simply going, hey, person, the person with the thumbs and the legs, could you maybe go tell me where the cookie opportunity is and then I can go with you and then you can give me the cookie and then that's good. This is more of how can I go find the cookie myself or the toy and they can trust their own intuition, they can trust their own nose, they can trust their own brain. That is confidence building, which is one of the reasons why Setwork is being referred by behavior vets and by behavior consultants to help dogs who have behavior issues. Because one of the biggest issues is the dogs are not confident. They don't feel as though they can be confident in their own decisions. They also usually have very small lives. It's very limited just because to keep them safe. So if you have a really reactive dog, as an example, you probably shouldn't be taking them out in the middle of Times Square in order to do your walks. That'd probably be a really bad idea. But because their world gets so small because you're doing management, it can really lower the quality of life that they have. So with Setwork, we can actually improve and expand upon the quality of their lives because they're able to make decisions in safe places that we're setting up. And it can help their handlers better read their dogs, make better decisions as far as management, and also appreciate all the dog is doing as far as trying. And particularly when you have dogs that have any kind of behavior issue, that is probably the biggest thing to help the handler is to start noticing their dog trying again because it becomes such an emotional taxing thing for the handler to have to deal with a dog that has behavior issues. It's like, I just want you to be normal. This is not what I signed up for. I'm so emotionally taxed and exhausted. I don't know what to do. I feel like maybe I did something wrong where you didn't. The dog's not doing anything wrong either. They're just struggling. But with this, you can actually see the dog trying in a very safe, they're just finding a cookie. It doesn't matter. There's no pressure. I'm not trying to see, can the dog deal with a trigger and then recoup? They're just finding a cookie. But you can see how complicated that can actually be because odor is hard. <laughs> it's a very complicated thing. It interacts with the whole space. And it opens up people's eyes in a way that is... It's not as burdened with stress and pressure that could be in other kinds of training contexts. So I find this network is so helpful for so many people, and it really helps the relationship between the dog and the handler because they start seeing their dog a little bit differently. I was going to say that, that one of the things I was saying when you were talking is, is I could see how it could be successful for dogs who are sort of on opposite ends of the behavior problems. You have your dogs who are truly shy and fearful and velcro-y dogs. I can't, or even those who have suffered from separation anxiety, right? I can't function without the, the two-legged appendage that I have, as opposed to the, the overly confident or, you know, or fearfully aggressive dogs. It can calm them down because it's tapping into, I believe it's the sympathetic nervous system, the one that calms you down, or it's parasympathetic. I think you're right. Yeah. So it taps into the sympathetic nervous system, which allows them to calm down and focus. And with your fearful dogs, it allows them to boost their confidence and, and tap into maybe get a dopamine release that says, hey, I'm successful. I can do this. And look, my person can be in the other side of the room and I have not died. 
I have not died in my, you know, I'm not attached to my person. So I think you're absolutely right that this is a great way to deal with behavior problems in a way that sets not only the dog, but I think it sets the owners up for success too, which is incredibly important because if you don't feel successful, you're not going to continue with the activity. Exactly. Yeah, this is something that I really, I love for everyone to do. It has so many benefits for the dog. It has so many benefits for the handler. And one of the biggest things for the handler also is being able to better read their dogs. Because in order to do well with set work, if you don't know where the hide is, so let's say that you were maybe playing with the idea of doing competition. For competition, there's what's called blind hides, where someone else designs a search area for you, you and your dog then tackle that search area, and you have to basically trust your dog to go figure out where the hides are, but you don't know where they are. And there's someone there standing there who's judging you, who has to say the wonderful, yes, you found that, or no, sorry, you didn't get the right answer. And when you're playing with that whole dynamic, you have to be able to properly read your dog to see whether or not they've actually detected odor, if they're chasing odor, and if they're sourcing odor. Or maybe, just maybe, because again, our dog's lives are all about odor, they figured out where the chipmunk was last week. Or they are reading a doggy text. Or maybe there is, you know, a car horn that fired off in the distance or something. Like, you have to be able to tell what all that is. And that bleeds over into your day-to-day life, too. One of the things that people do absolutely get hung up on about set work is, oh, you know, this sounds so complicated when you start talking about reading my dog. I don't know if I can do this. And it sounds really hard. If your dog came into the room, let's say that you like to keep their favorite ball up on top of the fridge and you're just standing in the kitchen minding your own business and they came in the room and they looked at the top of the fridge, they looked at you. Are you telling me you can't understand what your dog is telling you? Like if or they were in the backyard and you know that there's the squirrel from hell who likes to torment your dog and they're standing with their little chittering little fuzzy tail at the top of the tree going ha ha and they're giving the finger to the dog and the dog looks up at the tree and they go ah, and they look at you you tell me you can't tell me what the dog is telling you that's what scent work is it's basically taking that innate understanding of the communication that over thousands of years we have built up with this furry little alien that we live with <laughs> that we can actually understand what it is that they're saying on a day-to-day basis but it bleeds over into our daily lives so that we can actually go, I can better understand my dog. And I don't always need to have them talk human, that I can hear them from their point of view. So it's one of the most powerful things about that work. And again, understanding that ability to read the dog when they're trying and having more empathy and sympathy mm-hmm. just in day-to-day life of, you know what, I think my dog's a little tired today. We had a lot of construction done at our house, as an example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both of us are kind of stressed. I think that they're a little worn out. I'm just going to give them today off. I'm not going to have any expectations for them or me. We're just going to keep the couch warm. And that's okay. That can all happen as a result of set work. It's not guaranteed. But I have seen it happen time and time and time again as this better appreciation for the dog and the improvement of the relationship overall. So I can I can hear my customers in the background going, if I teach my dog to find food in the house, are they suddenly going to be pilfering the trash cans and putting their feet on the counters? Like, is there a downside to doing this with their dogs? You mean, are they going to turn into a clumber spaniel named Clementine? Is that what you <laughs> you think your clients are going to be worried about? Potentially. <laughs> so I would be lying if I said that there are no consequences to anything. There's consequences to absolutely everything that we do. And it's not always a bad thing. I think we have a misconception about the word consequence. So if your dog is already prone to do counter surfing and you place your hides up on the counter and you're inviting them to go up on the counter in order to find it, 
then yes. And they're going to be like, oh, thank you so much for training me that I should put my paws back up on the counter to find my trees. This is fantastic. I was doing that in the first place. I'm glad we're back on the same page. If you're doing set work with your dog and other types of setups and you're placing your hides mindfully, then the answer typically is no. Your dog should not just suddenly become, you know, they're now (laughs) rampaging through your house in order to find every little crumb that you've left. If anything, is actually giving them a proper outlet so they actually don't need to do those things. And it's not simply the act of finding the food. It's mentally exhausting for your dog. Odor is very, very, very complicated. To us, it doesn't make any sense because we can't see it and we can't smell it. To us, here's a hunk of meatball. It's right there on the edge of this little shelf. Why can't you find it? Well, because there's odor emanating from that meatball and interacting with the totality of your space. It depends on what's in that space. Are there slick surfaces? Is there fabrics? Do you have HVAC on or off? What is that doing to it? By the time you put that meatball down and you walked away, that odor is now traveled potentially on the complete opposite side of your room and is now pooling in a corner. <laughs> so your dog is sniffing the corner. And you're like, I don't understand. It's like, because it's really hard. But because it's really hard, it's mentally exhausting your dog. So I'm sure that you both have talked about with on your podcast and with your clients is that a mentally tired dog is going to be giving you a lot more return as far as being able to be stable than one that we're just trying to exhaust physically. So the thing about scent work is it's doing both. It's working them out mentally and working them out physically. So a long, complicated answer to your question is no. Typically speaking, people are not going to see suddenly their dog is like breaking into their garbage cans and stuff like that. But if you're placing your highs in such a way where you are enticing the dog to climb up on top of your counters or climb up on top of your tables, whatever else, we then just have to think about, well, what are we training? What is the hierarchy of behavior? What are we asking our dogs to do so that it makes sense to them? Be like, well, I thought that when you played the game with me yesterday, I was allowed to get on top of the dining room table to get my hide. But now that you guys are eating with plates, I would like a plate too. Suddenly you don't want me in the middle of your table. So my question is, when you're doing, um, do you do a lot of different kinds of treats or do you tend to start with one particular treat, which means we're playing this game? And if you were to do that and it's a particular treat that's tied simply to the scent game, then that would also not encourage the dog to get on the counter if you don't, you know, if you keep that in the refrigerator or whatever. So how do you, how do you decide what to do as far as like um, incentives for hiding? Sure. So dogs are incredibly contextual. That is absolutely true. So you could, if you had a dog who has truly already had a long history, I just want to preface this, that if you're already struggling with things like counter surfing, they're breaking into the garbage can and stuff like that, then being as contextual as possible can absolutely help where you're saying, okay, this treat is what we're doing for this game. You may also want to think about doing things like toy hides at first. But I will say the dogs are also really smart and If you are careful about where you're placing it as far as have it head height or below for the dog, maybe you don't place any hides. Maybe you just don't play in the kitchen for right now. Again, making the game what so it's going to work for you and your dog. If you're having certain areas of your home that are problematic, then just don't play the game there. I mean, there's lots of people who have lots of different rooms in their home that are just off limits to dogs just point blank. Let's say like the laundry room as an example. Maybe it's just too small. You don't want to be tripping over your dog while you're trying to get laundry out of the laundry machine. (laughs) So the dog just isn't allowed in there. Then just don't do searches in there either. But I will say that our dogs are incredibly smart. And as long as we can just think through what they're perceiving us to be telling them with our training, then we will be fine. And we're not going to have any of that fallout. It's where we start making human assumptions that we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. So I found when I started doing a little bit of scent work with our dogs, because I'm really intrigued by it, it was amazing. There was this 
because I have been a trainer a long time, it was like, well, how do they do it? Right. Like you have to defer to your dog. And I think that was a little bit disorienting to, to be like, wait, so I just have to believe them. Um, which is like this funny thing. Um, in particular, I was, uh, teaching a dog to find pseudo marijuana. So I couldn't smell it. The dog could, and other people were doing the hides and that it was a little disorienting because, you know, dog trainers are kind of control freaks sometimes. And we like to think, you know, because we have the posable thumbs, we know things they don't know. And it was really, it was very interesting to, to cross into a world where I am not the expert the dog is. Um, and that was a little bit disorienting. And I've seen for other customers where we've played little scent work games that it's disorienting for them too. Um, that they sometimes don't believe their dog. They're like, it's not there. And the dog's like, mm, I'm telling you it is. Um, so are there any, for somebody who just wants to get started and have fun with their dog and build their dog's confidence and give their dog an outlet to be a dog, are there any um, are there any rules that you would have them kind of think about before they just jump in and start hiding treats or toys? So it really depends on what your dog is like and what type of history you're walking up with. So the big thing is if there's any kind of issue with far, as far as resource guarding, if you're dealing with that at all, please make certain that you're working with a professional instructor first, because mm -hmm. I want to make certain that you're not getting into any kind of arguments with your dog where maybe you get excited when they find something and you come you know, toddling over and they're like, this is mine. And we don't want you to you know lose any fingers. So that's the biggest thing really to think about. But if that's not an issue at all, the big thing with scent work is you want to think through what's going to be most reinforcing for the dog. So this is where you really need to just make a list. If you are already doing training with your dog, you likely have certain treats that they really enjoy. I want you to break those up into three different categories. Ones that are like, is this really food? And then the mid-level of, you know, this is kind of yummy to, oh my God, I can't believe you're giving me this. We want to use that upper tier stuff. <laughs> Because again, we're trying to get the dog to work away from us, to be confident in their decisions. We want them to have an easier time finding their hides. And we also want to give you the job of just simply standing there smiling and waiting until they actually find it. And when they do, you're going to give lots and lots and lots of verbal praise, tell them how amazing they are. And then you want to do a big celebration at the end. And there can be any kind of customized thing that works for you and your dog. It could be verbal praise. It could be playing with a toy. It could be tossing more treats. But all of that is building in the fact that the dog can work away from you and can be confident in their decisions. Uh, we have a whole slew of different resources available for you on our site, Setwork University, as far as our introduction to Setwork course. It actually works you through a six-week program where you can work on working on containers and also interiors. It's all within the comfort of your own home. We have video examples. So we can actually walk you through how to do this. It's really, really easy. And you're learning a lot of skills that are helpful for you as a handler and just as a dog owner. And exactly what you were just talking about, Tina, where there is this disconnect of, wait a second, I'm supposed to be in the driver's seat, what's happening? <laughs> and suddenly the dog is the one driving the car. That's actually a really powerful moment for people to go through because it is absolutely something that we struggle with. If you have any kind of experience with dog training, whether you're a professional or not, that is disorienting because I'm supposed to be the one that's leading this journey. But to be able to be in a more supportive role can actually help in your day-to-day -day life too so that you can listen more to your dog. It actually changes the way that you are involved in the conversation where you're listening to the dog more and you can actually get more feedback from your dog. So let's say as an example, 
completely nice network related, you're actually doing a walk with your dog. And because you're now more in tune to this idea that you could be supportive, you absent to see that there's maybe a little bit more tension in the leash. Maybe your dog is doing some stutter steps. And then because you're attuned to that, you're like, I think my dog is getting keyed into something. And then suddenly your attention comes in. You're like, oh, look, there's someone who's wearing a big poncho down there. They're a little worried about that. Let me now be supportive to my dog and let them know that's okay. Maybe I can put them on the other side of me. Maybe we can do a U-turn. Maybe we can just do treats as we're walking by, whatever. But because you've had that shift where you're not constantly in the lead, where we sometimes can get checked out, <laughs> we're checking our phone, we're thinking about life, we're doing whatever, while well, I'm leading the walk, right? And the dogs are supposed to follow behind. If we can have this shift where now we're listening more to our dogs, we have those opportunities to actually allow them to say, excuse me, person, there's a big, weird yellow blob over there. What is that? <laughs> And we can actually hear it for the first time. So again, a very long, complicated answer to your question. My, my apologies. There's lots of different ways you can get started with this. But again, we have a lot of resources at Setwick University. There's also lots of things you can find online that are really helpful. But the big thing, again, is if you have any kind of history at all with resource guarding, please make certain that you're working with professional first, because I don't want you guys getting into an argument with your dog where they're like, look, I found a thing. You're like, yeah, you found a thing. They're like, oh, my God, get away from my thing. <laughs> we don't want that to happen. So I did a, a little scent work um, with our old Jack Russell Terrier. Um, and we hit a wall where it was pretty obvious that he thought I was really dumb, right? He would go, someone else would hide the scent. He and I would come and find it. I'd give him big praise, big reinforcement. What a smart boy you are. We'd move away. Somebody would reposition the scent. We'd go back in again. And he was, you could just see this look on his face like, I just gave you your keys. Why are you ha like, how did you lose your keys in 30 seconds? Are you, you know, like, have you had a stroke? What's the problem? <laughs> so for him, we found that, that, um, he almost needed the challenge to increase once I did a hide out in the retail space. And we were just from his perspective, we were just going to go outside and go potty. And he found scent on the way. Um, that turned him on. At that moment, he went, oh, that was sneaky. Good one. So do you find that sometimes, I, I guess for me, um, often I think of training in terms of recipes, right? We need to mise en place all these different components, and then we're putting them together. He seemed to go A, B, F. <laughs> and I was like, wait, 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 because I've never done scent work. I'm like, well, do we have to do all those letters in between? Like, I don't know. Are we going to screw it up if we do that? Is it is that just dog trainer overthink or is that a credible question? I think that it's a credible question that some dogs absolutely need to be more challenged as far as the type of odor puzzles that they're being presented with, where having things like problem solving, uh, Dana Zinn is another fantastic trainer. The way that she describes it is find the door, where you can use things even like X-Pens or setting up different chairs or tables or things, many little mazes for the dog to kind of figure out, where actually they could potentially even see the hide, but they need to figure out how to get to it. Or having a larger search area, having a more complicated search area. If you're doing things outside, playing with the wind, where we typically would like all the wind to be bringing the odor to us, to wherever we're starting, that's called downwind. So the dog can actually get a, a, a basically a sniff of the plume, the odor plume, and then work their way back to source. But you can flip that where you actually have them starting upwind. So the dog actually has to find the downwind spot on their own to then work back to source. So again, complicated answer to your question is yes, there are some dogs that do prefer to be challenged, but there's ways that we can challenge them where they're still at the appropriate level, if that makes sense. So even for people who are playing on their own, very simple things of having a hide 
one of the, the ways that I prefer to do this is thinking about working in tight spaces. So if, like for instance, I'm sitting at a computer desk, I can have a hide at the very edge of the computer desk to start off with. And then I can start having the hide closer and closer to where my legs would normally be, but the chair isn't there. Then I have the chair a little bit more in play, a little bit more in play. And until the chair is underneath the desk and the hide is against the wall, now the dog has to move the chair out of the way or squirrel the way in there or just stand there and tell me, hey, the chair is in the way, person move that so I can get my hide. So there's all kinds of different ways that we can do it. The other way I really prefer to do it is working with doors. So having a door of a room completely open so it's up against the wall, I can change that as far as difficulty level where sometimes the door is kind of mostly closed so it's really away from the wall but the hide is maybe in the middle part of where the wall would be as opposed to the hinge and then i can move the hide closer and closer and closer so it's at the hinge where the door is then i'm closing the door incrementally so now it's up against the wall so the dog has to kind of shimmy their way in between the door and the wall to get to their hide so there's lots of different ways that we can change this we can make it a little bit more challenging for the dog in order to work out their puzzles and a lot of it is going to be the longer that you do this, the more you're going to appreciate that we just don't know what odor is doing. So we may think like, oh, this is a really easy hide. And then the dog is still searching five minutes later, like, oh, no. <laughs> but building up their confidence and building up their ability to even have mental uh, stamina and endurance to stick with it is actually a really important and powerful thing. So you're not dealing with things like frustration threshold of I didn't solve this in five nanoseconds. Now I'm going to have a fit. <laughs> because <laughs> that's also going to bleed over to your day-to-day -day life as well. Do you see some dogs who, I'm thinking back to my youth, we had, my parents uh, bred Doberman Pinschers for many, many years, and our big male, we used to play hide-and-go-seek with his Kong. So just an empty Kong, It he loved the game. He never, I don't think he ever used his nose, he just used his eyes, right? And so are there some dogs that almost have a learning curve that they have to go, that they have to start relying on their nose instead of just their eyes to find things. Yes. So that is absolutely something that dogs do tend to do. And it is something that is born out of the way that the searches are set up, where they are almost enticed to use their eyes more. But then when they finally start keying in, like, I actually need to use my nose is a good thing. So just to talk about our process, what we use as far as training is using boxes is a visual cue. We're trying to focus their attention into a very specific spot. And the dog then says, OK, great, then I just need to search the boxes. Well, great. Once they have a kind of an idea of what it is that they're doing, we then will have a pile of boxes in the middle of the room and there will be a odor box underneath so that we're testing confidence if the dog will be able to get in there. But from there, we then actually take that odor box and we hide it maybe around the corner. So you still have that pile of boxes in the middle of the room. The dog comes in, they're like, wow, I just found a thing here before. Wait a minute. There's lingering odor here, but there's not actually any odor here anymore. Now they have to really use their nose because they can't see the box because it's around the corner. Maybe it's behind a piece of furniture or something. Now they have to use their nose. So that's one of the things that we're always looking for is that shift. And when you see that shift is where dogs will actually walk into things as they are scenting because their eyes kind of turn off. <laughs> so that's when you can really tell it. The one oh, thing look, I do the dog wanna... walked into the wall. Yay! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, they're walking into furniture. I guess their nose is on. And the one thing I do just want to make certain that people are clear on is that even if your dog is using their eyes, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. They're using all their senses. They're being smart. 
even for that example I just gave, there's so many clients who will say like, oh, my dog is checking out the pile where the hive used to be. What are they doing? I'm like, they're being smart. It was literally just there two minutes ago. And there's also a thing called lingering odor. There's a cloud of odor that's still there and trapped underneath all those empty boxes. Now they're doing a whole lot of really great learning that yes, there is actually lingering odor there, but there's no cookie. So now they're having this wonderful distinction of, huh, the bunny used to be here, as an example, and it farted, but then it ran away. So now I need to be able to figure out where the bunny is now. That is something that is extraordinarily important for our dogs to learn, particularly if you were interested in competition or even, again, just day-to-day life for them to figure out how to work out these very complicated puzzles. But it helps the handler, too, to have a better appreciation because we can visually see oh, we can see the hide. And we're like, why can't you find this? It's like, because odor is really hard. <laughs> So once they do actually key into the dog, I'm going to focus primarily on my nose. You may see them walking into furniture and things, but then they are absolutely keying into absolutely everything. So just as an aside, for people who are working on their own, something that you may notice and you may want to play with is when you're setting up your search areas, you're placing your treats around your house and you're like, this is so fun and exciting. I could just pick all these spots to place it. And then you go and you grab your dog and you allow them to search. You may actually notice that your dog follows your trail because your dogs are brilliant and you are dropping skin grafts every single time that you're walking around. You're sweating. If you're wearing socks, you're sweating through your feet and all this, and your dogs are brilliant. They're using all of that information. That doesn't mean they're bad. That means that they're very, very smart. So there are ways you can play with that too, where you can actually have a trail backtrack on that same exact trail, hand your treats to, a, to someone else in your household, maybe a friend or something, have them hide the treats somewhere else and then go grab your dog. And you'll notice your dog like, okay, I'm following mama trail. Mama trail's not leading to anything. Ah, darn it. Okay, I'm going to actually just use my nose to find my hides. And that's a good thing, right? So there's all kinds of things that we can play with that's actually really exciting. But again, it can really help people appreciate just how brilliant their dogs are. And also, as another aside, is if there are people who are saying, well, you know, my dog is blind, so I guess that they're just not going to be able to do this. That is not true at all. Dogs that are blind are amazing at scent work. They are incredible at scent work. And it can actually really help them, particularly for dogs who are suddenly blind. It can help them make that transition into an unsighted world really well. Dogs that have that are deaf do fantastic. Dogs that have any kind of mobility issues are amazing with this. And again, it can really help broaden and increase the the size and the the quality of the world, because it may have gotten extraordinarily small for good reason, right? We need to make certain we're keeping them safe, but it could also be a big hit for the handler where they're like, oh God, you know, we used to go for hikes and now my dog is in a cart. So now I don't know if I can do that kind of thing anymore. So I don't know what to do. This can give them something they can do safely. So I just want to make clear that again, you don't need the pointy-eared Malinois who is, you know, bouncing off the walls to do this. Literally every single dog can do it and they do it really, really well. It adds so much quality to their life and they love it. I have not yet found a dog that doesn't like it. It all depends on how we are defining it for the dog. I've seen people define the game in a way the dog is like, this is gross. But if we do it in a way that they actually think that it's a fun game and we keep it fun and we don't put any kind of human expectations that are just weird on it for something that we, again, can't see and can't smell, they were like, hey, I want you to do this impossible thing five times in a row and I'm not going to give you any kind of reward for it. I'm not going to want to do that either. <laughs> so we just have to be careful about how we actually play. One thing I wanted to say is that you mentioned your website and we will put a link to Scentwork University 
on our, on our webpage. Um, the whole dog journal has a great little issue on helping you figure out how to define food. So I will put a link to that particular article in the whole dog journal. But one of the things that you mentioned your online classes, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about those. Are those classes that is, is this a live webinar? Are these classes that you can download and uh, you know, on demand? How do your classes online work? Sure. So thank you for asking. We have all of our material is pre-recorded ahead of time. And then we offer three different enrollment options. So people get to really decide what's going to work best for their schedule and what they're looking to do. Because everyone has different lives and everyone has different things that they would prefer to do as far as learning. There are some people like, you know what, my life is crazy. I cannot be here at a specific day and time. Don't stress me out. <laughs> and there are other people like, I want you to be as involved with me in my learning as possible. So we have three different enrollment options. Our most intensive learning option is student, where you would be signing up during a certain student session, which typically is offered every month. For most of our courses, they're six weeks in length. That just simply means that you can go through the material whenever it works best for you within that six-week period, but you have to submit videos and homework for the instructor to review every week, and that's done through a private Facebook group that's for the actual course. If you don't use Facebook, I completely understand. <laughs> You could just do it through email with the actual instructor. The intermediary is our auditors, where, again, you have full access to all of the course materials. There's no deadlines. There's no, they don't just disappear one day. You can go through it from now until ever. As long as you have enrolled, you're good. But then it, what's included with that is you get to submit one video for the instructor to actually review via email. And you get to decide what that video is going to be as far as maybe as a compilation of different exercises from that actual course, but you get to decide when it's going to work best for you. So that works as a good intermediary between the student and our self-taught option, which is the watcher. And the watcher is literally, you just have access to all of the different materials. You get to go through them as often as you like, but if you wanted to have some kind of feedback, then you can also, add on video reviews with our instructors, or you can also schedule a Zoom consultation. So because we have an international client base, we actually work with everyone literally around the world. We have lots of clients in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe, and South America, the, the Canada, they're everywhere. <laughs> Is that having an actual set day and time for people to meet for class just doesn't work because we have to deal with time zones and things. So having everything pre-recorded really works best. And then having the flexibility, if you wanted to do the student option, where you can just choose, okay, I'm going to be able to do my videos on this day and I'm going to be able to upload them to the Facebook group and then the instructor can give me feedback that works best. For anyone who's just really getting started, they've never done online training before, they're really brand new to Scentwork, maybe they're just brand new to this formal type of training, I would encourage you to do the watcher. Just make certain that you're easing yourself in, don't have too much pressure. Again, our dogs are finding treats, it's fine. <laughs> you're gonna be A-OK. -okay. And if you do have any questions, you can always reach out to us. We're very, very supportive. Again, my whole goal with everything is to promote more people playing this game with their dog however they want to. I don't care what they're finding. They can find food. They can find toys. They can find gloves. They can find keys. They can find novel target odors that we do for competition. I don't care. <laughs> I just want the dog scenting. So I don't want people to get all hung up on technology or pressure or schedules that that could cause all kinds of issues. So I hope that helps. So for a beginner dog, how many hides in what period of time is a fair way to start that you're building their drive and their confidence, but you're not tiring them out or beleaguering the point. Sure. So for myself personally, I prefer to start off with we're doing a single hide at first to make certain they can get into the space, they can actually find it. But then we move up pretty quickly to where I think in our intro course is going off the top of my head, it's three to five hides in, in boxes and they're going along. We try to do reps of about 
three or four reps for an exercise. So your searches, again, if they're like five or 10 minutes a day, that is more than enough. And you may have people who are like, well, my dog is really super energetic. Okay. Maybe you can do some set of searches in the morning and then you can do some searches in the evening. That's fine too. Rest days are very, very important. Set work looks like it should be really super easy. That Okay, well, we did a couple of searches. The dog went and found the hides are fine. I can guarantee you they're going to be mentally and physically tired. You need to allow them to rest. So we try to bake that into our courses. We're like, okay, we're going to maybe do three searches a week. And then we're going to have at least two rest days where we're doing either we're keeping the couch warm <laughs> or we're going for walks or hikes or other things. So to answer your question, I would start off with one hide to make certain the dog can actually maybe interact with the boxes as an example to make certain that's not an issue because some dogs it's not just the portal to kitty hell <laughs> they're actually afraid of the box and if that were the case we want to stop and we want to adjust what that is i've had clients where we've started off with just the tree at the very edge of a piece of paper where it had to start off that low and that flat and then we slowly over months worked up to the point where the dog can interact with the box where they didn't think the box was going to kill them so that's what i mean is that you want to try to see what is the dog telling you of like ooh, this is kind of scary or this is kind of worrisome or oh i want to eat the box like then we would want to adjust maybe we're not using boxes <laughs> you know if you give your dog boxes to open maybe like on christmas or their birthdays and they're used to eating and destroying the boxes maybe you want to use something else maybe we want to use uh those metal buckets that they sell at Agway and things like that, different little metal water buckets. You can place your treats in there, all kinds of different things you can do as far as different options. So you're not promoting your dog destroying stuff too. <laughs> I, I was going to say, one of the things that uh, we did have um, early on in the podcast, we had uh, Stephen Dale come on and talk about cats and dogs. And he was talking about how save your Amazon boxes for your cats to be able to hide in. And I was like, uh, no. Because our dogs destroy boxes. I can just imagine a cat in a box and my dog's going after just not necessarily a, a, a good meshing of ideas. Um, I think those are great ideas. Um, little metal buckets, they um, they are terrific. I've got some that I got at you know, a local pet store for watering things. And uh, so I also think, too, there's probably plastic containers you could use, too. You know, yogurt containers, that kind of thing. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you is, do you find that when you're starting out, is, is that a stinkier treat a better idea to start with than a more subtle treat? Yes. So we definitely encourage people to use things that are more on the sticky scale, but again, that the dog enjoys. Because sometimes people pick something that I was like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to find that. I don't want anything to do with that. But yeah, the stinkier it is, the better. So just as an example uh, like a Charlie bear is pretty bland, but maybe like a liver treat or a fish treat would be a little bit better. So it is a little bit stinkier. Just like with all training, we do want this to kind of be, they find it, they eat it, they swallow it. They're not standing there for 10 minutes trying to chew it. We want them to actually like go along. So something that's smaller and softer. So it kind of goes down the gullet and they're not sitting there doing that dry heaving thing because they tried to swallow something that was really, really dry. We don't want that either. No choking, no death. Is that work? Is what <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a no death activity, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say, I really appreciate the fact you talked about rest because one of the things that I think that people don't appreciate is that part of the processing of learning is giving your ch your brain a chance to process what you learn. And I think that's true for, for people as well as for dogs. That, you know, if I'm learning something new and I've been working on something all day, I usually try to take, you know, day off or that's why you sleep so hard at night if you've been working really hard mentally because your brain needs that time to process. Yes, I do think that's a great idea to give your dog some time to process that the uh, we all need downtime to make things work. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that when we are so attuned and used to the idea or the the saying of a tired dog is a good dog, right? So people are always trying to figure out, well, how can I make my dog tired so I can watch my movie? <laughs> or I just came home from work and I'm ripping my hair out. My dog is all over me. What do I do? How can I tire them out? We want to make certain that we are not overly exhausting our dogs because depending on your dog, they may then stress up or stress down. So you may have an exhausted dog that is bouncing off the walls because their brain is basically melting out of their head. Or you have a dog that stresses down and now you have a dog that's shut down. Who A dog is disassociating from you. A dog that is now hiding under the bed or is doing other kinds of things and behaviors that we don't want. We don't want that practiced. And also, they just feel gross. They feel sore. Think of yourself at the, <laughs> at the beginning of a year. You have all these resolutions. Maybe it's about, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose for me that hundred pounds I need to lose. Okay, great. So you go to the gym and you go do way too much. You do all the machines. You haven't done any movement in like 12 months, but now you're going to do it all today. Well, the next day you're going to feel kind of crappy. And I can almost guarantee you that you're not going to want to go back because your brain is smart and says, hey, you remember that place? That made us sore. We're not going to do that again. Our dogs are the same kind of way. So if you're doing anything, including work, to the point where your dog is mentally and physically exhausted and sore, they're not going to want to do it again. And it's not going to help them be more settled when you actually want to do human things. We want to have a balance. So not doing the ball to the point where the dog is falling over, not doing work to the point where the dog is like leaving and being like, I don't want to find my hides, my head hurts too much. We want to make certain that we have a balance. And then we also want to make certain that we have rest days. Just allow your dog to be a dog. They can keep you company in on the couch. They can go do a nice relaxing walk with you. They can do a hike. They can just kind of hang out and just take up the space and be cute. There's nothing wrong with that. And it actually is really helpful. It will help them learn like what you were mentioning. Late learning is a huge thing. It's a it's actually really necessary for them to put pieces together. They need those breaks. You can actually see more progress that way as well. I tell people all the time, I think that the processing of the learning happens during the downtime. It doesn't happen during the experience. And that what I've seen is if you're working on something with the dog and they're struggling to get it a little bit, like they're just right there, but they haven't made that leap in learning yet, taking a break and then coming back at it often, the next repetition they're like, so I was thinking about that while we took a break. <laughs> and that's what you wanted. So I love that the dog training world is getting to a place where there's more of what I think is our heart's desire, that it's something we do with our dogs, not something we do to our dogs, and that we're starting to better understand their perspective a little bit of, yes, it's fun, but if you make me do it for 10 hours, it's not, now you've beleaguered the point. Um, do you find that, so I do a lot of food scatters with dogs to help them decompress. Is that counter, is that not helpful if then at some point we're going to, I'm going to try to do nose work? No, just the opposite. So I do food scatters with my dog all of the time. Um, it is a huge thing. It is very, very helpful. Having little tiny, what I call kibble snorkeling in the grass is scent work. I mean, that's that's the thing I hope that people take away from this episode and nothing else is your dog using their nose is scent work. And you can make it whatever you want it to be. So for my little guy that I have right now, I just got him in November, is we do uh, kibble snorkels. We do finding actual treats that I've placed in like a scent work context. He goes and he finds his toy as well. So we're doing all of that. And that is all scent work. And he is going to be my competition dog. We're going to get him onto novel target odors, which are birch, anise, or clove in order to do trials. And I'm going to continue having him find his treats and his toys as well. Dogs are brilliant. Dogs are really, really smart. The more opportunities that we can give them to 
be permitted to use their nose, understanding that's a lot of time that we don't want them to use their nose, which is such a big hindrance to them because their nose is such an important part to their lives. So if you think about if you were to take your dog on a walk, a lot of people do walks for exercise for the person. <laughs> also, they want the dog to get tired. And that means that we want to get to from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Let's go get your nose off of the ground and let's do this. And to the dog, all these wonderful missed opportunities, all this information, all these doggy texts. But Fluffy had just said this thing about spot and oh my God, I missed out on the gossip will you just let me check this out for a second they're missing out where the chipmunks are where the bunnies are and oh look there was actually a vendor he was selling hot dogs here last week whatever the world is so amazing as far as scent is concerned and we oftentimes don't allow them to investigate that i'm encouraging people to do so have actual walks where your dog can just sniff and maybe you can do a different walk on your own that's exercise (laughs) It could also help you kind of calm down and to also take in the sights and the smells yourself so that you can actually take in life. So it's not just such a blur. You can read your dog a little bit better. You can have those moments where you can actually notice them, notice things, and it can actually improve the quality of your walk, particularly if you're doing nature walks. It is so sad when people are doing hikes and it's just, you know, full speed ahead. It's like, guys, you're in nature. Enjoy nature. (laughs) So all of those things are going to help you. And there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's not a sniffing activity that's going to be counterproductive to set mark. I think it all actually helps it. Well, Well, Katina, how many times have we said that, right? No, right. Like, yeah. I mean, Mr.'s a good example. When we take him hiking, so he's a little like 12 pound Jack that's 12 years old, right? He don't tell him he thinks he's Jack LaLanne. Um, but on a walk, it, it used to really frustrate Christopher that if we took him hiking, cause he does love to go hiking and he's a really good hiking partner. He wants to sniff the whole way. And I just stop and let him sniff. Right. I, and I can tell when he's kind of wrapping it up, but uh, for him, that nose is like a Technicolor dream coat. Like he's just really enjoying all the sniffs. Um, and it does sometimes frustrate Christopher because Chris wants to get the walk done. And I'm like, okay, but like it's for him. Like we're doing, like if you're doing it for you, then just go. You'll catch us halfway when we're ready to turn around and go back. <laughs> but I'm not going to drag the terrier for three miles. Like I want, this is for him. It's a gift to him that he gets to just be a dog. So, um, it it is interesting that, that especially because I'm like second generation dog trainer and I'm old as Methuselah that I'm getting to watch this transition to what's next for our dogs. And I'm really excited about it because I think it makes people better people too. I think someone learning to defer to their dog just a little bit on something like scent is really powerful that sometimes people are like, well, it's the dog. And I'm like, right, but that dog has skills that you don't even have a look in. (laughs) Exactly. And it's the ability to be so appreciative, but also reminding ourselves that It is an absolute marvel that we have been able to successfully in any way, shape or form meld our lives with this furry little alien that 
tries so desperately hard to make it work. And if we can actually meet them closer on their end, we can actually be more successful. When we're constantly asking our dogs to be furry humans, it doesn't work. But if we can actually understand where they're coming from a little bit and also comprehend how little choice they typically have in their lives, and if we can grant them more choices or if we can structure things in a way that they're making the choice that actually makes living with us better, things kind of fall into place because it makes more sense on both sides of the, the divide. And that's one of the wonderful things about Snetwork is that if you have someone who's having such a hard time wrapping their head around those concepts, it's kind of baked into the game is that you have to defer to the dog because you don't have the nose. One of the things that I will tell people when they're first starting, when I was still teaching in person is because you would have people like, this is dumb. I can't believe that I even signed up for this class. I'm handing you some hot dogs as an example. I'm paying you money to hide hot dogs in this room or in these boxes this is dumb. I can't believe I did this. My brain must have left my body temporarily for me to do this. I'm like, okay, so you think that this is really, really simple, right? They're like, yeah, this is so simple. I could do this. I'm like, great. Here's a blindfold. I'm hiding a hot dog. Get down on all fours and go find it. <laughs> and they would look at me. They'd be absolutely just like, yes. you want like, like you want me to do that? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Tell me how easy it is. <laughs> yes. I explained, and hot dogs are pretty, like you can smell them. Like oh, yeah. they're pretty oh, yeah. pungent. It's not mm -hmm. like freeze-dried chicken that's right. invisible to our silly lackluster noses. Exactly. I often explain to people like, okay, then I'll give you directions to your dinner using only scent as cues. Like when you smell the wisteria, turn left. Right. And they go, wait, <laughs> what? I'm like, right. Like you don't even have, like, I love you, but you don't have a look in. I mean, exactly. if you think about our interpersonal relationships, we want to be understood well, I'm pretty sure our dogs want to be understood too. Yes. So I often am saying to people, if your dog is checking out the recycling bin and the trash can and sniffing at the counters and all that stuff, that is a dog who is telling you that they need more scent engagement, that they need more seeking games. So, and they all give me pushback and go, well, it's going to make it worse. And I'm like, I love you enough to tell you it's probably not going to make it worse unless you hide the Kong on the table or in the trash can. <laughs> like if you give them the kind of enrichment that they're telling you they want and crave, then it fills up their enrichment tube a little bit and allows them to just be dogs. And I love like when I was a human foster parent, our kids, there was like a container of just the dog's regular dog food. None of my dogs, thank goodness, would fight with each other. The kids at any time could take a handful of kibble and throw it out the back door and the dogs could go out and they were allowed to close the door because the dogs were bugging them. <laughs> you know, they wanted to do something that the dogs were in the middle of. It was great. Like it, it gave the, the kids weren't fussing at the dogs. Right. They were able to impact their environment to make it more comfortable and less frustrating for them. The dogs were joyful about getting to go outside and find some kibble. Um, they didn't argue with each other. My current crew, we couldn't do that. We'd have to do it one at a time, but, but that's okay. Like we could sort that out. I found it really powerful as a parent trying to navigate homework and this one's playing and that one's got this question and dogs here, go play outside. Um, it was, it was like a wonderful, quick, easy. I didn't have to, I didn't have crazy rules to follow. I didn't have to spend a bunch of money to do it. Like, and the dogs thought it was funny. Like exactly. And yeah. then also the kids then are a gateway to fun. So where they're like, okay, well, wonderful. These little tiny humans, they're allowing me to go do the snorkeling game. How awesome is that? <laughs> yeah. And I had the dogs do a, 
I have the kids do a lot of playing hide and go seek too. So like our Doberman who loved the Kong, um, my foster son used to probably 10 or 15 times a day. He would tell Gus to stay. He would go and hide the Kong and then send him to go find it somewhere in the house. I was going to say we, um, Colleen Pilar had a great game for kids and dogs that is along the same line where makes it a great game for kids to do with dogs without being directly interacting with the dogs is she would give them a little plastic bowl of, of Cheerios or kibble and ask them to make a Hansel and Gretel trail through the house and the adults holding the dog, the kid has created this trail, right? And then you let the dog go. So it's a great way for a kid, especially a little one, you know, a toddler or, you know, to be able to play with the dog without getting those little hands near those sharp teeth. And so I think that that's a great way to do some scent work, but also the kid feeling like I'm creating something really wonderful for my dog. The um, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I think this kind of goes to what we were talking about, not overdoing it is one of the things that I have always found with my clients as I if we're working on a particular something and they do it great. Don't do it again. And on a positive note and on the thing that the dog's going to remember and process. And I think that's an important thing that you can have a very short and sweet training session on anything, but as long as you end on a really positive note to feel like we've made advancement, just stop there because you're going to find the next time is going to go so much better than if you repeat and repeat and then he fails and then you stop. So I think it's important to remember that you can have a short and sweet and successful training session when you end on a positive note. So with that, um, this has been a great discussion. I think that we've been able to present a lot of good information to to our clients and hope that we've covered scent work in in a way that would make it appealing and something they want to look at again. I was going to mention because when you talked about allowing dogs to – to sniff on it walks. I don't know how many times we've talked about Zazzy Todd saying this is a sniffari. Allow your, your dogs to go on a sniffari. So once again, we reiterate how important it is to allow your dog to be a dog. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to add, Diana, that we didn't cover or you feel like it would be important for our listeners to know? Yeah, the biggest thing is just remember that whatever it is that you're doing with your dogs, you got your dog and they're in your life because you were looking for companionship and that they want to fulfill that role. So whatever that you can do in any capacity to just remind yourself of that, that is going to help you end your dog. So if there's something that you're struggling with, please make certain that you're reaching out to a reputable trainer so that they can help you. And be easy and kind to yourself too. That again, you were living with a little alien. <laughs> it, there are things for the three of us. We do this professionally. We make say, make things sound really easy and simple. I can guarantee you that everyone who has ever lived with a dog has struggled at some point. And that is also part of the journey. And not everything is doom and gloom. So please make certain that you're looking for those positive moments with your dog. And somewhere can be a wonderful thing to do that with. It can remind you of what can be fun, particularly if you've had a whole lot of things that are challenging. Even if it's just some, something simple as you're going through adolescence with a puppy where you're like, why did I bring this into my home? <laughs> and enjoying your dog, actually being a dog and giving yourself the the license to laugh, to have a good time again, to enjoy that time is really the biggest thing that I can encourage everyone to do. I think set work is a great way of doing that. But even if you thought that, well, you know, I don't know if this is a good thing for me, 
just really evaluate the time you're spending with your dog. How often are you laughing? How often are you just amazed at the weird things that they do and that they want to spend time with you and that you're enjoying it? That's the biggest thing that I can encourage everyone. All right. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Diana. Tina, any last thoughts? I'd love to have you back, right? I think I think having you back toward... Um, I love that we're doing this one just before schools lets out, right? Like this is going to help moms over the summer. Um, do a little bit of scent work with your kids and dogs during the summer. I'd love to have you back um, kind of for fall winter for the families that all of a sudden outside recreation just becomes a non-starter. So maybe you'll come back and bless us with some other great ideas then. Perfect. I would love to come back. All right. Well, we look forward to that. We always like to have repeat guests. We find that uh, we have a great deal of fun with them. Hope you had a good time with us. And we will see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.